Hi, I'm Madalie Kasika, creator and curator of 52 Weeks, 52 Books, 52Women.com. Today, I'm talking about the mystery novel Long Black Veil by author and professor Jennifer Finney Boylan. On a hot August day in 1980, a group of college friends descend upon the ghostly ruins of Philadelphia's Eastern State Penitentiary, America's first modern prison, opened in 1829 and allowed to fall into disrepair by the 1970s. They are there on a bit of a lock, and before the end of the evening, they will be locked in and one of them will end up missing, presumed dead. The repercussions of that night ripple through to the present day and will test the bonds of loyalty, love, and identity. Joining me to talk about the book is author Jennifer Finney Boylan. Welcome. Hi, Metalika. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for joining me. Um, that sounded so good when you described it just now. I want to buy it myself. <laughs> well, good. I hope people will. Um, so <laughs> the the first thing I want to ask you about uh, is the location. Um, I, I've actually been to Eastern State Penitentiary, and I will confess when I visited it, I thought, great location. Why did you pick this location? Well, in some ways, for the same reason, that it's impossible to visit Eastern State without, if you have minds like ours, without thinking, okay, movie movie or novel goes here. Um, it's it's just, um, just over-the-top, ridiculous, um, uh, baroquely frightening, strange, and, and scary. Um, so my first thought was just um, uh, that this would be a great container for a story. Um, but as I also thought about it, I thought about the way um, if you're a person like me and I'm a, a woman with a, with a transgender identity, um, it's hard not to think about the prisons that people build for themselves and um, the uh, resorts people will go to, to to find their freedom. So I was thinking about... Um, these, a mystery novel with these six characters who are uh, locked locked in this incredibly creepy place. But I was also thinking about the years that follow, in which each of them are have have failed in in many ways to quite become the people they mean to be, and, and that that is a more interesting kind of prison to write about too. And I think that that is one of the things that I found very intriguing about the book, that this is a group of what we think are tight-knit friends. Um, but what did you want to say about who we are as 20-year-olds and then what impact that has on us later in life and the relationships that um, we have with those people we knew when we were 20? Well, I think we've, we form very close bonds. Um, with people we knew in high school, people we knew in college. And there really is a sense then that you are trading rings, that you are superheroes, and that um, you will always um, obey um, that mythical bond that you make then. Um, and as, as you go on in life, um, people fall away, people make choices, people um, pass out of your life, so that some of the people to whom you pledged your heart and soul are people whom you you, you you kind of lose touch with. And I think that's um it's normal in life, but it's also in a way it's it's quite tragic. And so what do we owe the friends of our youth? And if someone called you up or if you heard of someone at age fifty five 
um, who was at the center of your life when you were 20, but whom you haven't seen for 20 years, if that person contacted you and you were the only person who could save them, but saving them would also mean giving up, in some ways giving up the life that you've made since you knew them, would you do it? What do we, what do we owe um, these people? Because um, it's funny, because when you, when, if you get married at 20, and if you're still married to the same person at 55, uh, with, with any luck, you know that person better than ever, and you have, you have taken an oath. Um, and yet, uh, in, in a way, I think we, we, we don't, it's sadly, we don't honor those bonds um, of uh, the people we knew in our youth, usually, I think. And I mean, I think what's interesting uh, is that you uh, you reveal how we um, all change, even when we don't physically change, which is one of the things that you do address in your book. Um, now, you're one of the most famous transgender writers in the country, and you've chron chronicled your own transition in the memoir. Um, and I'm, though this is a spoiler, but I, I want to ask, why did you want to write a mystery novel that also has a lead uh, character who is a transgender woman? Well, um, uh, this character's plight might seem uh, extraordinary to people who don't know much about trans experience, but in many ways she has gone on to create a life that I think might seem familiar to many readers. Um, she has a husband, she has a child, um, and she um, has, has a job as a travel writer, but she is... Um, not out as trans. She she is what in what used to be called stealth, which means that nobody knows that she's trans. No one knows her history, and in fact, including her husband, does not know. Um, so she has, in many ways, exchanged one secret for another. Um, and um, so a thing that I'm I'm I was trying to explore was what is the burden of secrets that people carry. And that's, I think that's true for some transgender people, but I think it's true for everyone. If you have some incredible thing, some great tragedy or some great triumph that happens to you when you're 20, um, is it possible that you'll remain haunted by it the rest of your life? And if you, if you have a big before and after in your life, how is it possible to live one life rather than two? And I, I mean, I think that that is what is um, clearly the sort of key struggle for uh, the character Judith, um, sh who is a transgender character, a woman around your age. Uh, and the, in the yes, book, seriously enough. <laughs> <laughs> but interestingly, there is also in the book a teenage transgender boy whose experience of transitioning was comparatively easy, easier clearly than Judith. And I'm wondering what it is you wanted to address by having two transgender characters from different generations as um, characters in your book. What, what was what well, were you trying to tell us about? Yeah, because I think if you look at these two characters, you can see at least one measure of how much things have changed. Um, the character who's my age, um, it, you know, it, being trans was so extraordinary that she decided she had to hide it, and no one knows. Meanwhile, her son's best friend. Um, is, is a young trans guy. He's about 17 years old. He came out in middle school, um, and it, you know everybody rolled with it in their um, not particularly liberal main uh, small town. 
And so I see that now as the difference in how the culture has changed. That, um, and not not everywhere, and not for everyone. And privilege, and race, and class still, and geography um, still play a large measure in how people are treated. But here's this young guy whose name is Caden, who you know he came out as trans, and everybody rolled with it, and it's not the center of his life. It's not the center of Judith either, but the secret around her identity is very much at the center of her life. And I think there are times when having that secret um, is uh, almost harder for her than than, than being out. Mm-hmm. Now, is there something about fiction that allowed you to address themes um, in a more accessible way than nonfiction? Because clearly, you know, you write a lot about these issues, and I'm just wondering what it was about the draw of fiction um, well, we go back to Eastern State because I thought, what a great place for a story. Uh, so um, I decided to put a group of people, not unlike people that I knew when I was when I graduated from Wesleyan back in 1980, uh, in this situation, and then I decided to follow them. I would say that when I came out as trans, um, going on almost 20 years ago now, um, I. I made the move in my life from fiction to nonfiction in the in the 90s under my previous byline mm-hmm. <laughs> um i was i was known as a as a writer of of fiction and i think in my head i thought if i go from from male to female if i go from a life where i'm essentially being untrue to a life where i'm i'm living my truth that that would be reflected in, in a move from fiction, from 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 fiction to nonfiction. But here we are, um, you know, almost 20 years later, and I think um, there there are some truths that I think you can tell best in fiction. Um, as Oscar Wilde said, it is sometimes easiest to wear the truth when you wear a mask. Well, I think that um, that to me is sort of what's also intriguing about the book um and a mystery you know picking this genre uh mystery thriller genre hugely popular uh as we know uh and you know looking up the demographics um they are mostly enjoyed by older readers um and they might be picking up a conventional what they think is a murder mystery like many others that they pick up in the bookstore and then they find this other story um, that they might not be as familiar with. Was that part of your thinking too in the mystery (laughs) novel? Because, you know, a lot of people are in their fifties and sixties who really are the heavy readers of mystery novels. And I I think we'll be surprised when the book takes the turn that it does. Well, uh, it's very sneaky. Come for the mystery and learn something more. Yeah. Well, I, I would say um, if people learn about trans experience, great. But it's you know, trans experience is not. Again, this is that's one of six characters, um, and uh, and yet the 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 question of how do we become ourselves, and what 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 is it like to be staring at late middle age and to feel that you've never quite become yourself? I think that's a question that is pretty universal and um, it's certainly not unique to transgender people. So I hope that when people read the story, not just of Judith, but of of the other five as well, uh, they will hear something very familiar. 
I, I mean, it's, yeah, I agree with yeah, you. I it's think very that, easy to. Sorry, go ahead. No, I think that's one of the things that, um, for me, as the story unfolded, we learn a lot about several of the characters and who they pretended to be when they were young people, and who they really are is revealed in the Who Done It. Right, and so I'm I'm less interested in the in Who Done It than I am in, um, you know, who who are we, and. So, and it was one thing that I, I struggled with mystery for a while because I realized that I, my interests are really not in, in terms of um, describing the perfect crime. The, 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 the crime at the center of this book is a rather imperfect crime, which is more the result of accident than of evil. And yet um, the consequences of what is not meant to be um, a life-changing act um, last for decades and decades. And I think that people can find that to be true, that when, they, when, they're, when they're staring at 60, there's a sense of, if only I'd done that one thing when I was 20 or 25 or 30, if only I had turned left instead of turned right, how would my life have been different? And um, so I think people are haunted. I mean, what does it mean to be haunted? What does it mean to have, to have ghosts in your life? Most of them are not the supernatural kind. Most of them are the ghosts of, of yourself, of your younger self, of um, a person who either you're finding it hard to live up to the ideals that that person had, or you're haunted by one bad decision <laughs> that that person may have made, which you're still trying to unscramble. And I think that that is a message that so many of us can relate to, uh, particularly those of us who were on the other end of our, um, our life as idealistic college, college students. Um, the book is Long Black Veil by Jennifer Finney Boylan. Jenny, thanks for joining me. Thank you so very much.